From the currently being revamped EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the first Unconquered podcast of the new season. We are now getting into spring practice. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Shenandoah Newsma of ShenRealEstate.com in the Research Triangle of North Carolina. And Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. So it's it's been the silly season, and uh, I've had other pressing matters that I've dealt with, have not put out an episode in quite a while. Uh, also working on getting some things, as I mentioned, getting some things done in terms of upgrading uh, some of my studio stuff and uh I've wanted for the last couple of years to establish uh, some YouTube type stuff and, and get back to doing some live type uh, shows and, and looking at uh, at actual clips and that sort of thing uh, in video format, which I've not been able to do as much of in recent uh, in the last couple of years. Wanting to build out more capability of doing that sort of thing. And I've got a couple other expansion things that I'm wanting to do. So I've been working on some of that stuff behind the scenes, a few other things. But we're getting to the place where got to start doing some stuff in front of the scenes as well or on the scene. And uh, so it's time to start getting some some content out, some podcast episodes out. We'll start with start this one with some question and answer and some things that came up during the uh, the little layoff that I took there over the last month or so. And uh, want to want to start with. Uh, with this one, uh, and this is uh, this says uh, the, the recent rec- uh, defensive recruiting episode is a great listen in anticipation of your next mailbag episode. And after watching the playoff games, can you talk a bit about what your perfect college defense would look like in order to go head head to head versus today's better high powered offenses? If you were a coordinator and could also hand pick your lineup, I keep waiting for college defenses to catch up to these offenses, but it has yet to happen. And how close is Florida State to having your idea of what a modern defense needs to look like in order to be able to continually dictate terms to offenses? Whew, that is a huge question. Um, yeah, so first thing is, I would say there are a couple defenses that I'd, I'd look at as pretty close to ideal in certain areas. And one in particular that I'm looking at as very close to ideal in terms of how I would build it out. And the the most ideal one in recent years might be the 2013 Florida State team. That that Florida State defense in 2013 had a lot of the the, the pieces in play, or very nearly all the pieces in play that I would I would uh, single out as most important for me in terms of how I would build it. Not necessarily in 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 having the perfect personnel, but in having the perfect kind of personnel in each case. So if you look at that defense, there are a few things that that stand out. Number one is they're big up front, and I think you need to have at least one guy on your defense that can reliably two-gap, ideally two, that can reliably two-gap. What that means is a guy that takes on an offensive lineman head up and is responsible and can handle the gap on both sides of that lineman instead of being in one gap. Now you want that guy to be a good enough athlete that he can also be a one gap penetrator, but you want the flexibility to have, have some guys that can do both. So on that defense, you had Timmy Jernigan, you had Mario Edwards Jr. And you had uh, Eddie Goldman, all three of them 
were capable of being two gap guys. And there were times where they could, they could two gap three guys up front in some sort of tight front look and occupy five offensive linemen essentially in six gaps with three guys. And that allows you to turn your guys loose and let them, let them run behind them. Let's you use that fourth guy on your defensive line. Or if you're using him as a stand-up rusher, you can use him for some true edge type stuff. You can turn him loose in other ways. You can do a lot of things with that, but you still want enough quickness to be able to to use those guys in other contexts. And all three of those guys had that. Uh, Clemson's defense in 2018 is another that that had that on their defensive line with Dexter Lawrence and Chris, Christian Wilkins and all of them. You want a defensive line like that. So if I had to choose, let's say that Clemson 2018 defensive line would be my choice. Give me that defensive line and I can work from there. But really, the place where that 2013 Florida State defense completely shined and what made them so dominant was really the back seven. You the you had the uh, you had Terrence and Telvin Smith at at linebacker. Both of those guys essentially ran like safeties, but were 220 plus pounds. So Terrence Smith being about 225, 230, uh, Telvin being. Sometimes he got down in the 215 range, but he was about 220 in that in that year and was just so physical, even at that at that weight that he could really run. And so those guys would allow you to cover even a slot receiver at times with with your linebacker and they could run well enough to run with basically any running back. So that gives you some flexibility and they had the ability to to match in terms of what they're doing in match zone coverage stuff. And then you look at the back seven and they had essentially four four guys in the back seven that could all cover close to like corners. Terrence Brooks was the was the weakest cover guy in that back seven, and he was still capable of handling one on one matchups as a cover guy, and was fast enough to cover a lot of ground when he was put into into zone stuff in you know single high type situations. He could play sideline to sideline, and all of those guys were pretty physical. So you go Darby on the one side, on the field side, with all of that speed, the ability to play, you know, he was a, a very good corner in the NFL for several years after getting into the NFL. Uh, and again, you're not running away from him as a 10, 500 meters guy. Uh, you had Williams on the other side, some physicality as a, as a boundary corner. He was really the weak link, I think, in some ways in that secondary, still a guy that played, what, seven years or something like that in the NFL. Uh and then, and then you had Jalen Ramsey as your field safety, the ability to do all sorts of things with him. I mean, guy was the the best corner in the NFL for several years. So essentially, that's a team that you can't create a whole lot of mismatches downfield in the passing game with them. And you're not going to run away from them. Uh, if I was going to design an ideal defense, I'd want that in terms of the flexibility at linebacker. And, you know, there are some Bama backers that I would take over over what Florida State had there. I mean, if you're building the perfect team, you want, you know, a couple of the guys that Bama's had over the years at, at backer that were 230 and could run like those guys, 235 and could run like those guys. OK, you add those in fine. So you've added a little more size, but the same kind of concept, you've got to be able to cover at the at the linebacker spot in addition to being able to fill. And then really, you add LaMarcus Joyner to that, a guy who is, again, a guy who's a corner, but then moves inside and has the physicality and the mean streak of a safety. And another guy with outstanding long speed, 
and burst. And that's what made that defense so good. So not only do you have your four true secondary guys that can all cover like corners, essentially, you've got a legit corner in the slot who's a corner safety hybrid who has that burst, has the ability to take away any mismatch you want to put on him in the slot. So essentially what you want to have is you want to have a back seven where you're going to minimize the ability of of an offense to create mismatches with one-on-ones while not sacrificing physicality. So what you want is a Jalen Ramsey. You want a Derwin James. You know, if you, if you're building out the perfect secondary for, uh, for sort of the modern, modern game, you'd have say Derwin James in there where Jalen Ramsey was in the 2013 team, throw Jalen Ramsey on the boundary for the boundary corner, keep Darby, keep uh, LaMarcus Joyner there. And then I'm fine with Brooks as that other guy, but maybe you toss in another, another safety along that, along the lines of uh, a little bit truer cover guy with a little more size as well. That's what you need. If you want to have the perfect defense. And again, if you've got say the Clemson 2018 or, or Florida state, uh, 2013 type defensive line or uh, the Georgia 2022 defensive line. You at, you have those defensive lines in front of that, and you're essentially you're gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna get beat. That that's those are your perfect defenses where you have that kind of defensive line, and it all starts there. And then you just have to make sure that there's no place that you can get picked on in one on one matchup creation by offensive coordinators because offenses are so good now that they use spread principles and formation to in motion and all these things to get one-on-ones with the guy that they've identified as as a weak link against one of their guys that they think can beat him over and over again and they'll just keep going back to that so if you can minimize how much teams can can pick on that one-on-one matchup then you're ahead of the game so at that point i think again the the trend right now in college football is is going a little bit slower and getting bigger on offense to try to push around some of these tight front defenses and all of the smaller personnel that, that, that defenses have gone toward. And again, if you're going ideal, you want to have that kind of mix that, uh, that I'm talking about up front and at backer and all of that, so that you still aren't getting pushed around when teams go big. So, so that's, to me, that's kind of the ideal modern defense where you have some flexibility in that back seven and seven guys on the field at any one time that can really cover. Uh, but again, without sacrificing length and and size in the process. And the hard part about that is good luck. Those players are hard to find and it's really rare to get, you know, even nine or 10 of them on, on a team, let alone 11 or, you know, you need 14, 15, 16 to have the kind of depth that you want there. And it's just, it's really hard to get that kind of collection for that kind of ideal, perfect defense. So hopefully that's a good enough, a good enough answer for, uh, for, for sort of how I approach that. You, you want that, that size and, and dominance up front again, 2013, Florida state, 22, uh, Georgia, 2018, Clemson, that kind of dominance on the defensive line. You've got to have uh, backers that can that can cover as well as fill, and then five other coverage guys that are not weaknesses, essentially. So, moving on to the next question. 
from uh, a travel standpoint, so this brings us, this question actually brings us to some of the discussion about, um, about uh, conference realignment. Obviously, Alford and Florida State uh, recently went public with their dissatisfaction about the current uh, money gap in terms of TV revenue that's coming in for Florida State and the ACC in general uh, compared to Florida State's peers. And it's one thing, I mean, Alford's point is it's one thing if you're Wake Forest and you're not trying to compete for national championships. It's a wholly other thing if you are Florida State or Clemson and you're trying to compete with Alabama and Alabama's bringing in another $40, $40 million in TV revenue when they already have advantages in other respects. So they're, the, Florida State clearly doing everything that they can to try to address this problem. I'm just not sure how many options they have, but get to the questions here. First and foremost, from a travel standpoint, it doesn't make sense uh, make much sense for Florida State to end in the end up in the Big Ten, right? Because I'd rather be in the SEC. You don't think recruiting would go to another level, when, uh, or don't you think recruiting would go to another level once you have ace recruiters on staff? FSU should be able to compete with anyone in the SEC once they're in in conference. Wouldn't revenue also eventually catch up to top SEC programs? Ooh, there's a lot there. Um, my answer there is. I think it depends on what you want to do. If you are most interested in having the most fun regional games and regional rivalries, uh, benefiting the, the Tallahassee local economy with fan bases that are, that are closer to, to Florida and will travel to see their team play in Tallahassee year in, year out. The SEC is an, is the obvious choice. I mean, regionally, it's an obvious fit. Culturally, there's a ton of fit. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. And in terms of the fun factor, in terms of rivalries and that sort of thing, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. If your goal, though, is to win national titles, if your goal is to be a dominant program, if your goal is to win your conference or win your division in conference, if there's divisions or whatever, year in, year out, then... The choice is the better choice is the Big Ten. So, yeah, um, there's a few reasons for this. One is Florida State has some significant disadvantages in terms of revenue, in terms of booster base, just in terms of general money factors and other infrastructure factors compared to the top SEC programs. So, I, I honestly, I do not think that Florida State's recruiting would go to another level versus where it is when Florida State is winning big in the ACC. If Florida State was in the SEC, I don't think it would be it would be a, n another level situation for Florida State compared to, again, if they're if the program is doing well where they are. And the reason for that is. When you don't have parity of resources one thing that can help and has helped Florida State over the past four decades can help establish some parity in that respect is extended stretches of dominance. When you're winning and winning and winning in your own context over and over and over again, winning attracts great players. Players want to play at programs where, that have a lot of success. And so that's the thing. Alabama, LSU, Georgia, you, you start having that level of success and players just want to go there because they want that success to bleed out onto them. Florida State has been that program before and they were that program in the ACC twice. 
under Bowden and then under Jimbo Fisher. And they're getting there under, under Mike Norvell now. One of the things that Florida State has had an advantage of in the being in the ACC is that it's actually because Florida State's the 800, 850 pound gorilla in conference. Nobody else has the resources and the the location and some of the other benefits and the brand that Florida State does in terms of football in the ACC. Florida State is a top tier, is in the top tier, might be the top tier in in the ACC in terms of that. Clemson's the closest, and they do have the advantage of being closer to the Alabama and, and Charlotte uh, population centers. So they, they do have some advantages there. But overall, Florida State, all things being equal, uh, when both programs are, are operating at their you know fully weaponized state, Florida State should have some advantages, even against Clemson. So when you're in that situation... And you look at the rest of the the rest of the ACC. Florida State has significant edge, has significant advantages over the rest of the ACC in those respects. Well, that uh, that allows you year in year out. You start operating at you know a fully weaponized, uh, an operational status. And when you're out recruiting everybody in your conference by the amount that Florida State can in the ACC, and then you beat. Then, then you're in a position to, you know, potentially beat Florida out of conference. Then all of a sudden, year in, year out, you're winning 11, 12 games on, under current scheduling rules. Minimum. 13 games being a, you know, sort of a default season, 12 games. You get to where you're doing that, and it doesn't matter as much that you're not in the SEC because, again, now you're starting to, you're starting to, to foster that culture of success, and people want in. Those kids want in. And then you beat Florida, and then you're able to hold up, like, look, we're better than the SEC team in this state. So all of a sudden, you're able to leverage that extended success, and year in, year out, you have that 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 benefit. And that goes a long way in recruiting. And that's something that, that being in the ACC, where Florida State is, a, say, an 850-pound gorilla in a conference where sort of the next biggest one is say an 800 pound gorilla in Clemson or 750 pound gorilla in Clemson. And then the next program down is just well below you in terms of, of operating capacity that gives you a chance to, to win sort of stumble your way into double digit wins in a lot of seasons. Once you're operating like you should as, as your own program. And then once you start doing that, you can start to really compete with whomever for a lot of those players. So that that works up until you get just massive disparities in revenue and other things that end up costing you players just because you can't afford, uh, you can't keep coaches, you can't do some of those things. And that's really where the concern is right now, moving forward. And so that's why, you know, up till now, in a lot of ways, it's been better for Florida State to be in the ACC than the SEC. They've had advantages being in the ACC versus the SEC through most of the past 30 years. That really has flipped around because of the, the the massive revenue deficit, and and so you know that's why these questions are being asked. But if you can erase that deficit while maintaining more or less a similar competitive advantage in your conference, that's even better, because then you have the best of both worlds, and that's what something like the Big Ten would offer. If you get if if Florida State. We're able to get into the Big Ten with with a couple travel partners, let's say with with a Clemson and you know somebody else that the Big Ten might want. I don't know a Georgia Tech or somebody like that. 
you get a couple travel partners and you get into the Big Ten and you're getting that kind of revenue, which they get a little bit more than the SEC, and you're playing basically Big Ten programs that have huge fan bases and all of that, but do not have the natural Southern recruiting base or brand in those respects. Essentially, Florida State winds up in a conference where it's based on how the Big Ten is going to be now. It's USC, Ohio State, and then a little bit of a drop to Michigan and Penn State. And Florida State is in that immediate top tier just be just by location and other other advantages versus those programs. You know, maybe USC and Ohio State just a tick above Florida State, but but Florida State right with the top tier teams in that conference because of other advantages institutionally and in, in, in terms of infrastructure and all of that. And location. Location matters a lot. You get into the ACC or you get into the SEC, and I think that's a much dicier situation in terms of where you where you fit in the larger pecking order i mean you're basically a peer with florida florida at this point is you know a tick below georgia in terms of infrastructure and 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 certain advantages and then alabama and lsu and and texas a&m and some of these other huge well-heeled money programs they're they're playing a different game so uh in in that respect and so all of a sudden if you're competing in their conference with them some of the advantages that you've enjoyed by not being in their conference disappear. And you say, well, okay, but now the revenue thing disappears. No, only the TV revenue thing disappears. Texas A&M is still going to be massively wealthier as an institution just because of oil money and it being a much older institution than what Florida State is. I mean, this is a consequence of Florida State being a, a much younger institution. I mean, they didn't go co-ed until the 1950s. So there isn't the huge endowment buildup of another century of, of buildup and all, all of the old money that's in a lot of these programs. I mean, Florida state has some old money in its, in its donor base. Don't get me wrong. There is some that they do, but not like a Texas A&M or an Alabama or an LSU or some of these programs that, I mean, LSU, maybe not as much even as, as Bama, uh, as Bama does, but, uh, but some of these major programs, I mean, you're looking at a lot of, a lot of difference in, in, in some of that. So to me, that makes it a much harder choice. I would very strongly consider the Big Ten with the right traveling partners. I'm not sure Florida State's going to have that 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 option. I mean, I'm not sure at this point, given the way that they've not found any uh, any options, I'm not sure they're going to have that option anytime soon. But if that if those options did come on the table, I would I would have to very strongly consider the, the Big Ten as a viable and maybe a more viable long term success option even though it would be less fun uh, in terms of the week-in, week-out matchups, it might be more fun in terms of setting yourself up for long-term national success. So, yeah, harder, hard, kind of hard, uh, the hard kind of decision that you would have to make if, if it comes to that. And we'll see, you know, what Florida State's able to do on that front. Next question is related to this, and it's, uh, it is, the TV numbers show Florida State's brand is hella strong. <laughs> This may be controversial, but if we continue to climb and get back to continual relevance, why do we need a conference? We're independent for a long time. Let's make our own deals and keep all the money. That that sounds attractive, but it's not really plausible in today's in today's landscape. It just isn't. 
And the reason for that is it's different from the way it was 30 years ago. And, and Florida State's not Notre Dame. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Florida State's not going to be able, like Notre Dame, to park their their program, park, park all of their other programs, their non-football programs, in a Power 5 type conference and then maintain independence in football. That's just not going to be an option. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to allow them to do that because they're not Notre Dame. Uh, and once you are in that boat and it's a independent and everything or join a conference and everything, the difficulty of scheduling for things like baseball or basketball or women's basketball, softball, that sort of thing in a non-conference environment where you are an independent, it just, it's, it's so difficult. It's almost impossible in today's, today's game. I mean, you think about it, if you are, if you are Florida State basketball and all of a sudden you're an independent, you have to replace 20 games in your schedule. And that's 20 games when every other team in, you know, on, uh, every other peer team is playing strictly conference games. Suddenly you're going to have to have, ask them to make room somewhere in there and make room against the team that can beat them, that can grind them up a little bit during season. There's just very little incentive for other teams to, to want other programs to want to play ball with you there. And you're going to start losing you're going to start playing games where you're having to pay pay teams to play you. So it's just not it's not feasible at this point in the way that things are structured now. Uh, and and that's why Florida State is going to be in a conference long term, no matter what is you have to think about all of the sports and all of the money that, that goes into travel and everything else for establishing games and, and having matchups once once you're in season for those teams. All right, so that brings us then, 25 minutes in, brings us to uh, the end of silly season, as it were, and to the beginning of, of spring practice. This this episode should release uh, on Friday, so the, the day that uh, you've got all of the opening spring practice interviews with coaches and everything else and, and weights revealed and all of those sorts of things. Uh, so finally getting some stuff that we can actually talk about and 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 evaluate and analyze and all of that in ways that I think are, are more fun and where I, I think I have more to offer than, uh, than I do in sort of the silly season where there are people who, you know, they, they know some of these things a lot better than I do and, and, uh, better for, for folks to get some of that stuff, uh, from them. So in any case, like I said, past the silly season, Florida state survived six figure offers to several backups that, you know, if I'd been those guys, I would have seriously considered transferring to 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 get those paychecks, but uh continued to culture and uh the battle's end continued to uh to win out there. And that's huge because now Florida State goes in into the twenty twenty three season or at least the twenty twenty three spring with a much, much more uh with much more depth than they've had at any point in really since probably twenty sixteen at least. And and you could probably go back to, might go back to 2014, the last time Florida State had the, the kind of depth across the board that they're coming into into this spring with. So very very good. Uh, I'm gonna before we before we get to the to the actual spring stuff, I think it's worth talking a little bit about the tour of duty stuff. I mean, obviously Mike Norvell, I have a great amount of respect for him uh, for all sorts of reasons. But one of the things I really like about how he handles his program is. He allows a lot of access and, you know, he allows 
people to take video of things like Tour of Duty, the last day of Tour of Duty and all of that, and showcases uh, those players and gives an opportunity for people to see what they're doing. And and that's 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 great. Uh, nevertheless, it does open us open things up for some of the discussions like what I'm going to have now where not everything is, is quite as rosy. Uh, but if I didn't think that there was, if I thought that this was all going to have negative impact or whatever, then I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it, but I, I do think that there's reason to to discuss some of this. So we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk through a little bit of it. Uh, first thing I want to point out, I do think that the team in general looks better on the hoof than they've looked in years. Uh, they looked really good on the hoof last year and they look even better this year, there's more quality bodies. There's very little dead weight on this roster. There's a lot of quality bodies who belong at Florida State. And it's been a long time. It's been, you know, it, it's been almost a decade since you could really say that about the roster the way that, that you can now. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think you can, I think it's evident from looking at some of the bodies that they, they've just gone through a, a bulking stage. You know, last year, I thought, in tour of duty, they were, they were trying to make some, uh, some strides in terms of conditioning and getting guys into, into condition. Uh, and, and it's the thing, the thing is when you have players over the course of their career, you, you, you have different phases for them depending on where they are in their career. And usually early on with younger guys, you're going to try to bulk a little bit earlier and then sort of get them into shape as they learn to deal with the, with more bulk, especially in the line of scrimmage. You're going to do that. So uh, last year, they had fewer of those situations. More guys where I thought they were in kind of a cutting situation uh, than, than what they had this year. I think this year you could see that there were probably 30 guys that I saw in the footage that I watched where, and shout out especially to the uh, Knowles 24-7 team who does a great job with that stuff. I mean, I obviously work for uh, another Knowles 24, or uh, another 24-7 site. Uh, so a lot of respect for for Chris and, and the guys over there. Uh, and thanks for sharing the way that they do uh, all of that that video footage. Uh, so shout out to, to theirs in particular. I thought they did as good a job as anybody or better than anybody in terms of their footage. So uh, go watch that if you haven't. In any case, um, Watching what I saw, uh, I think there's at least 30 guys or so that you can tell are carrying a good bit more weight, and they're guys that I think they've been trying to bulk up. They're they're making an effort to get some more weight, to get these guys stronger, to get them beefed up a little bit, and then they'll probably cut a little bit in the summer. Uh, that's that's my guess. So there's a few guys that they'll cut down on a little bit. And I think that's been the emphasis and, and, and does account for some of what we, what we're seeing in terms of, of tour of duty and bodies there. Uh, nevertheless, I did, and this is where I'm going to put on my, you know, I'm an old head now. I mean, officially I I'm, I'm, you know, 20 years removed from, well, 21 years now removed from my, my last, the last time I put on a Florida state uniform. So it's been, you know, it's been over two decades. And so I'm, I'm officially an old head and, and now we're going to kind of enter the, uh, enter the stage where I, I have some, you know, criticism of the younger generation and the way things are done now, as opposed to before. And honestly, you know, when I was watching through the first thing that stood out to me is I would like to see more consistency and strain just in, in general, a higher effort level from some of the guys that I saw from most of the guys that I saw doing these drills. Uh, one of the things that we took a, a, so much pride in, in my era was 
finishing the drill. Uh, it was a mantra, finish the drill, finish the drill, finish the drill. And that was embodied in these drills by accelerating through the end of every drill. And there were just too many cases where, you know, I'm, I'm watching those. And, and if you go and you watch that video, you'll see guys sort of letting off the gas a yard or two before the, before the final, before they cross that line. And man, just as a, as a guy who, as an old head who went through this and put that uniform on and, you know, look, I, I was terrible. I was not a good player, but I took a lot of pride in what I did, uh, even though I was not good. You know, I, I bought into that kind of that kind of mindset and seeing that it just kind of made me go, oh, man, come on, guys, like take some pride in that. And I, so I would like to see more pride on, on some of those little things than I saw. You know, I saw also a lack of knee bend in certain certain uh, certain drills, you know, two point wave when you're looking at four point wave drill and, you know, guys are in almost plank position with their feet all the way extended and back instead of their knees bent and their feet up under their body you know, those sorts of things. Just too many guys standing nearly straight up at different points, feet stopped, barely chopping at times. And again, the not finishing drills, you know, some of those things I'm looking at and going, man, they could, there, there's so much room left for this team to improve. And that's despite seeing, I'm like, this is, I'm not calling out a culture problem here. I'm not. This team has a strong culture. This is night and day from where it was even two years ago but there's still so much room left still so much room left for this to this team to get better and for these guys to learn how to turn on and sustain the intensity level and the strain that's needed for true championship level performance and again i'm not saying this because i was a good player because i was a championship level player or whatever no but because i did get to learn and see championship level effort and what that takes and, you know, got to, got to work into that. Now, again, is there some degree of, in my day, we had to do mat drills in 120 degree heat with no water uphill both ways. Is is there some of that here? Yeah, of course there is. I mean, I think there's some inevitability of that when you have an older generation dealing with the younger. Uh, and, and of course, you know, a lot has changed since those days. I mean, you can't do what, we did now. You you can't. It's illegal. And it should be. I mean, I wouldn't wish what happened to us with Devon Darling. And, you know, I was in that room with what happened with Devon Darling in 2001. You know, I was going through drills when all that happened. I wouldn't wish that on my enemy. So, you know, this is not to say that we did everything right in those days and all of that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I, 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 I and, and we need to recognize the, the difference between, you know, between eras. No question. Uh, but I am saying that there is a certain level of, I'm looking at guys and going, you, you haven't quite learned how to, you haven't, you haven't learned. And so a good way to put this is one of the things that I learned in Matt drills is there's that, that point where you've pushed yourself as far and as hard as you think you can go. And like, you're at your very end and you push to that point. And then all of a sudden you're, you're ready to collapse or whatever. And something surreal happens when all of a sudden mind over matter happens, mind over body happens. You puked your first time or whatever at that point. And all of a sudden you pop through the other side and you've gone further than you, than you thought you could. There's, you, you realize that there is always that extra like 2% that 
that you'd never accessed before that you can hit. And it's just mind blowing when that happens. And my impression watching this is that a number of these, especially the young guys just haven't had that experience yet. And I want that. I want that for them. I want them to be able to have that experience. And if they're, you know, the, the level athlete that some of these guys are, as opposed to the, you know, limited athlete that I was, that, that, you know, leads to great things for them. But I want them to be able to get that experience of, of accessing that, those final couple percentage points of what, of getting to a hundred percent where you thought you were at a hundred percent. And all of a sudden you realize that you had more in the tank than, than you knew. I, I think there's still room for that for a lot of these guys. And again, I, I'm, yeah, there's an aspect of this where I'm, I'm an old head and I'm, you know, I'm behaving like an old head here, but I'm going to be honest about what I see. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat things when I think that things could be better. And I can promise you that Mike Norvell and his staff want to see more improvement here. Nobody who's no coach who's watching what they, what, what you're seeing there is going to be a hundred percent satisfied. And really no coach should ever be a hundred percent satisfied with anything. So in a lot of ways, I'm just talking like a, you know, look, I'm a former coach too. I'm talking like a coach. And remember Dugans and Odell went through old school mat drills too. I mean, Ron Dugans is one of the guys who taught me how to do mats when he was preparing for the NFL, for the NFL uh, uh, combine and all of that years and years ago, Ron Dugans helped me learn this stuff. So I know he knows. <laughs> I know Odell knows because I, I got screamed at by that guy. I know what it's like and I know he knows. So I know that they, I know that they want more as well. That's just the reality. And I know these players are capable of more as well. The amount of growth that we've seen is massive. There's still more upside. And that, that's a, in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. I just want to see it. Now, all that said, are we making a mountain out of a molehill here? To some degree, yeah. I mean, tour of duty is the underwear Olympics, right? I mean, we used to talk about guys who are shorts, all Americans. You know, a guy just looks amazing in practice when we're in shorts. I didn't look amazing in practice in shorts or in pads, so I was not one of those guys. <laughs> but, you know, you don't, want, you don't want to base your team and your assessments on underwear Olympics or, you know, shorts, all Americans. You just don't. So you don't want to overweight the importance of this kind of thing, of tour of duty and all of that. I mean, we were much better doing this kind, these kind of drills and all that in 2001 than this team is, no doubt. I mean, it, you know, I posted a couple clips from old, you know, from 2000, 2002. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you'll be able to see the difference immediately as soon as you look at that. To posted those on Twitter. Uh, but that team lost five games. <laughs> you know, being perfect in tour of duty wouldn't guarantee a single win for this team. It's not even really an especially efficient way to condition athletes, to be honest. I mean, if you want to get into, you know, the, the actual physiology of it, I mean, strength and conditioning coaches around the country will tell you like, eh, you know, Matt drill style stuff is a waste for, for football teams, you know, in terms of physiologically. Now I actually, I'm old school enough in this respect that I disagree with that take just because it's not just about the physiology. You build the physiology in the weight room and in, you know, speed training and all of that in the off season and, you know, after spring, this stuff is about the foundation of your team. 
foundation of your program. It's where you build accountability and leadership and the mentality that impacts how you finish drives, how you finish games, how you respond to adversity in, you know, against really good teams and potential championship situations. And yeah, it's just no question that that's the sort of thing that I think you do need to, to pay attention to coaches pay a lot of attention to this coaches care about this. And so it's worth me, you know, putting my two cents in about, about what I see here. Now, a few other things before we, before we go, I think it's worth uh, discussing some personnel who did stand out to me as I watched it. The two guys that most stood out to me in, in all of this, in terms of the positives, Trey Benson and Renardo green, <laughs> those guys could play on any team at any, at, in any era. Uh, uh, they, in terms of their overall capacity and, and foot quickness and, and the way that, the, that they go through the details and all of that. Thank you very much. I'll take both of them. And Renardo green, if he can stay healthy, if he can build on last year and, and improve his technique a little bit, hopefully he can do that with Patrick Sertain. If he can do that and, and, and also show the movement skills and all the, that, that he showed in tour of duty, you're looking at an all ACC type guy and, and potential NFL draft pick at, at corner. That guy looked really, really good physically in these drills. Another couple guys that, that stood out, Jalen Early. Oh, man. Oh, love the way that kid looked. He, or young man, I should say. He is, uh, that is what you want a young offensive tackle prospect to look like when he moves around here. G- looked great on the hoof. Jeremiah Byers is a just a horse. Keandre Jones like to see a little more quickness with him, but he is just massive and he moves for that weight really well. I mean, he's, he's actually kind of a Tarlos Thomas type type guy in terms of body type and, and, and movement capacity. And, you know, I'll take that any day. Uh, Omar Graham, Lamont green, both stood out to me for young guys. Uh, Winston Wright moved really well knowing sort of where he's coming from there. Uh, Jaheim Bell <laughs> looks the part, but you already knew what he would look like. Keziah Holmes looked very impressive in terms of his ability to change direction and accelerate. Uh, Rodney Hill, Kenton Kirkland both look good. Hill looks a little bigger. Uh, and then Lucas Simmons, miles to go physically and you know has to learn how to get that intensity level up. But man, his body looks great in the hoof. He's a guy that, you know again, looks like a young offensive lineman should physically, but he's nowhere near in terms of movement where Jalen early is just yet. Uh, Hakeem Williams, to me watching this, he, he lived up to what I would expect from, from him coming in. And that that's a really, really good thing. Uh, Very pleased by the overall package physically that that you see from, from him. Uh, Travis J is another guy. And honestly, that's a situation where I, I guess I'm just ready to be hurt again because I, I watch him move around and all of that. And I go, yep. That if he can just get it together in, in you know in other respects, maybe this is the year that he becomes that that dynamite dynamic safety. Who knows? But physically, love it. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a little better from Julian Armella. Looked a little top heavy and 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 a little on the soft side on some of this. But I think they've tried they've tried to put some weight on him and with some success. But he didn't move quite as well as I'd like to see. And and I think he's going to have some work to do in the off season has, has, has a ways to go. Uh, Fentrell Cypress was not as, you know, Deuce Cypress was not quite as impressive as, a, as in terms of a, 
a corner body and, and, and his movement as I would have liked to have seen. He's more of a glider. Uh, but again, I want to emphasize here, it doesn't matter what you look like so much in Tour of Duty if you can't cover. And similarly, even if you don't look as good in, in Tour of Duty and you're a great cover guy, then who cares? So, I mean, you could see the 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 speed there and the burst. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, I, I you know, I'm looking at it and I'm with a critical eye and I'd like to see a little more there and several of the, uh, of the other offensive linemen I'd like to have seen a little bit more out of, uh, but you know, we'll see, we'll see where some of this goes in any case. I think this is going to be a very interesting spring, uh, in, in terms of what I'll be watching just very briefly. And I'll, I'll do another episode, uh, and, and discuss this more in depth, but I want to see the offensive line and defensive line, how they build their depth and set their pecking order there. Uh, they need to they need to really come out of spring with the with the solid core and and guys knowing their role and and be able to build into that. I'm very interested in what they can do at corner. Can they improve like they need to? There are they going to have three guys at corner like I talked about in the I- ideal defense where you can put three corners on the field and know that those guys aren't just going to be one on one mismatches for the offense. You want guys that can win their matchup at corner. Are they going to be able to be there? They may have the personnel for that. We're going to see. I want to see it, and I want to see if Patrick Sertain can can get them over the hump there with the, with the personnel that they have. And they might be able to, but that's a huge area. If they can get that, sky's the limit in, in 2023. I'm very interested in running back. I mean, I think Ward is a bigger loss than a lot of people realize. I want to see who becomes running RB2 and RB3. I mean, obviously, uh, is going to get... get uh, get some looks and all of that, but how much will Hill ultimately come into play? Is he going to be RB two or is he going to be RB three? Will Kaziah Holmes have something to say here? I'm I'm curious as to what's going to happen there. And then safety, you know, like I said, I'm ready to be hurt again by Travis J. He just, you just watch him move around and you just go, man, you just love for that guy to have everything finally fall into place. Duke Cooper moving to safety, I think is a, is a really interesting thing. You know, is he going to be on the inside, maybe at nickel some, maybe, or is he just going to be a field safety? Very curious to see what he looks like there. You know, are there going to be other options that they experiment with? I'm, you know, I want to see what they do with AZ Thomas. I'm going to see a lot of those things that that's really where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be watching in the spring. And to me, the ceiling for this team is extremely high. We already know that the ceiling for this team is 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 nationally competitive. I'm talking about playoff competitive. The ceiling for this team, healthy, their starters, is competitive with playoff level teams. For me, this spring is all about how high they can raise the floor. How high can they raise the floor for this for this season? That's going to be the difference in, in a longer season with these high hopes. What happens when you got a couple of your key contributors out? Do you have enough depth to be able to compete with one of the better teams on your schedule when you're not at 100%? That's what you're establishing for this spring. Can you establish it so that you are setting the floor so that even when you're not playing a game, you're winning and you're beating A-level teams? That's that's what the spring is about. That's where they're trying to get. That's what I'm going to be looking for. Until then... This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.
The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.